Samuel chapter 28. First Samuel 28, just before Saul is killed in battle, we're getting close to the end of his life, but uh, tonight we're going to look at an episode where he disguised himself uh, to go see a witch and uh, asked her to contact the deceased prophet Samuel uh, to find out what to do about the Philistines. So uh, we see a continual corruption in Saul's life. And this shows uh, just, again, another aspect of showing how corrupt he is in his uh, time as king here. But let's start reading at verse number 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 28. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. That includes witches. That's what he's talking about there. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, or, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him. They came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring him up whom I shall name to thee. Uh, the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how I have cut off those of familiar spirits, the wizards out of the land, wherefore... Then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die. And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Who shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. Uh, we'll stop at verse 12, and we might read a little more. But And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. Father, I pray you'd help us the next few minutes here to divine something out of your word that be a help to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 3 starts with some of the calamities that are happening in the land. Samuel was dead, the Bible says, and Israel lamented him and buried him. Now, Samuel had been a great prophet in Israel, as we know, uh, but he was dead and not available for counsel anymore here. And it's interesting that someone who had no interest in what Samuel had to say when he was alive, now, all of a sudden, wants to know what Samuel has to say. Now, his death was a tremendous loss to Israel. He was the pillar of the nation, really, for quite a while, and uh, had led them. Of course, you remember how Israelites demanded a king. That's how Saul came on the scene in the first place, rejecting Samuel. But really, what they were doing is rejecting God. That's why God told me, I've rejected you. They've rejected me. Uh, and so, Samuel was really the best help that Saul could have had in governing the land. And he, he's the one that anointed Saul, and he's the one that wanted to be the spiritual leader to Saul. And it's interesting that uh, Saul wanted nothing to do with Samuel. In fact, he, everything Samuel said, Saul did the opposite. And he didn't obey what he said. He didn't take his counsel. He didn't uh, take his advice on anything. He just really did what he wanted to do. And in this critical time... All of a sudden, Saul realizes, I wish I knew what Samuel had to say about this matter. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he, hadn't, he didn't care at all about what Samuel had to say when Samuel was alive. And all of a sudden, he values what Samuel would have to say. 
how wise it is for us to recognize what we have when it is in front of us, before it is gone. How often in our lives, parents, pastors, mentors, we don't see the value of their influence in our life until it's too late, until they're long gone. We have teenagers with us tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us, young people. I want to encourage you, take advantage of those who invest in your life now. Recognize that. I read this a few years ago, and I thought it was interesting concerning mothers. Four years old, my mommy can do anything. Eight-year-old, my mommy knows a lot, a whole lot. Twelve-year-old, mom doesn't know everything. Fourteen years old, naturally mom doesn't understand that either. Sixteen-year-old, mom is hopelessly old-fashioned. Eighteen years old. That old woman is way out of date. At 25-year-old, she might know just a little bit about it. 30 years old, she's a lot smarter than she used to be. 35-year-old, before we decide, let's get mom's opinion. 50-year-old, wonder what mom would have thought about that. 65-year-old, I sure wish I could talk it over with mom. Where, we, where does that find us? We're probably all in different stages of that. But uh, that's a lot of truth to that. We don't recognize sometimes what we have until we lose it. And they, Israel, it, as a whole, didn't recognize what they had in Samuel until they lost him. And now Saul all of a sudden re realizes, boy, maybe Samuel had some good things to say. I wish I knew what Samuel had to say on this matter. And so now all of a sudden what Samuel says is important. Long after it mattered. I mean, they could have been listening a long time. And I want to encourage you tonight that uh, the folks that invest in your life and whether it's uh, spiritual counselors or mentors or parents or whatever it is, uh, take that investment and don't take it for granted. Don't wait until it's too late to be willing to listen. All Israel had lamented him, the Bible says. Too late, Israel decided the value of Samuel. Uh, they surely ignored him when he said you shouldn't ask for a king. Didn't care what he had to say then. Remember what they said to Samuel years before he died. You're old. We'd like to have a king. That's how they started the conversation. Hey, Samuel, we need to talk to you. You're old. That's not a nice way to start the conversation with anybody, but that's what they did. So, so often good men are rejected and despised until they die, and then people mourn the loss. Samuel had warned Israel of the disaster that would come if they demanded a king, in which they exactly what he said would happen, happened. If they'd have listened when they should have listened, they could have avoided a lot of grief. It would have helped them. Now it was too late, and they lamented him. I wonder in that lamenting if they regretted not listening to him. I'm sure the wiser ones did. How sad it is to not realize the value of people before they're gone. And then the Bible says they buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. The burial was an honorable one. It was a national event that it received more honor. The burial of him received more honor than he did in his life. Expensive funerals do not offset the failure to listen to the godly while they're alive. I remember my grandpa, he used to play guitar. Grandpa snuck a guitar into his Amish existence. He wasn't supposed to have one, but he learned how to play a guitar. And he used to play the guitar and sing a song. Maybe some of you old-timers remember this song, but Give Me the Roses While I Live. He used to sing that all the time. And the idea was, you know, everybody, when you die, everybody sends flowers to your funeral. He's like, give them to me while I'm alive. You know, say good things while I'm still kicking. That was the point of the song. And, and this is what they should have done with Samuel. 
They should have given him honor when he was alive, but they didn't. They waited until he was gone. Now, the second calamity that happened was the Philistines. They gathered themselves together, and they came and pitched in Shunem. This was a crisis in Saul's life, and many times a crisis in a man's life will reveal what he is. Crisis doesn't make a man, but crisis certainly does reveal a man. Uh, that shows what they're made of. Robert Freeman said, Character is not made in crisis, it is only exhibited. And what Saul's about to do shows us what type of person he really was. You've seen the old illustration with the tea bag. You know, the tea's in the bag, and when you put it in hot water, then it's, that's when it really releases what it is. And a lot of times, uh, we, we release and show what we are when we're in hot water. He didn't listen to the man of God when he was present, and now he's about to go to a witch. Look at what it says here, when it uh, verse 4. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched at Shunem. They were taking advantage of a, of a threefold situation here, a circumstance. First of all, the departure of David. Uh, because of Saul's chase, we talked last time about uh, uh, David sparing Saul's life. He's now went to live in Philistia, according to chapters uh, 28 here, 1 and 2. Uh, the Philistines obviously would fear David more than they would the armies of Saul. It's interesting to me. Uh, why? Why would they fear David more? Two reasons. Number one, he killed Goliath when nobody else could take Goliath out or wouldn't dare. David, as a boy, killed Goliath. And by the way, since then, he's had numerous skirmishes with the Philistines and always been successful. And number two, they saw that God was with him. It's interesting to me that even a lost world can recognize the power of God in somebody's life. And the Philistines knew that God was with David. So, uh, the departure of David encouraged them to come. The death of Samuel. That took away a great uh, battle aid for Israel. Samuel gave Israel a spiritual advantage, and the Philistines recognized that. Which, is, by the way, a spiritual advantage is greater than any other advantage, by the way, in life, uh, in business, in your family, in every area. And so, uh, interesting, again, how the world can recognize that, and they did. And then, thirdly, the deficiency of Saul. So you had the Departure of David, the death of Samuel, and then the deficiency of Saul. They all knew he was a lousy king. Uh, have, have you ever seen, you don't have to look very far back, like a week, uh, when a country has weak leadership, how it loses the respect of other nations? We see that happening right now. We have very, very, very weak leadership at the top. And we're not having respect worldwide. Well, neither did Saul. He was a weak leader. They knew he was a weak leader. And so they, they didn't have any respect for him. And weak leadership in government always encourages the enemy to attack. So the Philistines pitched in Shunem. This, the territory where this is shows how weak Israel was because this is deep into Israel. It was where the woman had a place prepared for the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's where Mount Gilboa was, right, uh, so, just southeast of Mount Carmel. This location is deep inside uh, Israel and it shows how weak they really were. It's uh, equivalent to if, if, an, if an invading army would be able to make itself all the way to the center of our nation. And then another problem that they had, what, because Saul greatly trembled, he was afraid, he had reason to tremble, he's too weak to take care of this problem. Samuel's gone, David's gone, all the, 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 the two best men of Israel are gone, and now Saul's left here, they're too many, the Philistines are, they're too strong, he's too few, and he's too weak. Then he had another problem, verse 6. Saul inquired of the Lord. Now, oh, time to pray, right? Haven't listened to God up to this point. 
But now I'm in bad trouble, and it's time to pray. Isn't that how people are? Got no time for God while things are good. Got no time for God when they're not in trouble. And then as soon as they're laying on their back in a hospital bed, or when something bad happens, or their life's in danger, all of a sudden they pray. And that's what Saul did here. Uh, the Lord answered him not. Is that surprising? Call unto me and I will answer thee, Jeremiah 33.3, I think. That's a promise from God. But here it says, Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered him not. This was Saul's biggest problem right here, was that he does not have a relationship with God anymore. When God turns a deaf ear on you, it doesn't matter what else you got going on. That's your biggest problem. And that was Saul's biggest problem right now. This is a greater problem than an invasion of the enemy when God turns his back on you, so to speak. When heaven is silent to a man's petitions, it's always for very good reasons. The writer of Proverbs tells us about it in Proverbs chapter 1. You have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Could that have been said to Saul? Those very words could have been said to Saul. You did not listen to anything I said. You have set at naught my counsel. In other words, you threw aside all my counsel, didn't do what I said. Now, you want my help? I will laugh at your calamity. He goes on, Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. And this was Saul's case here. He would not listen to God's orders. He rebelled against God's word. And now God will not attend to Saul's words. This is the law of the harvest. Saul's getting exactly what he sowed. He's reaping what he sowed. And it's a scary thing. Think about this. It's a scary thing to think that God could turn a deaf ear to our cries at some point. We need to not ignore him. We need to not uh, live apart from his commands. We need to do what things he says. Because when our prayers are not answered, the problem's always inward. It's never his problem. He's always available. It's our problem if the prayers aren't being answered. Let's look at the witch. In Saul's desperation, look at verse 7. Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. This pursuit was obviously a wicked one. Witches, mediums, palm readers, tarot card readers, all that stuff is not of God. All of that stuff has satanic roots. Witches are... Uh, plainly outlawed by God in Exodus chapter 22 and in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Witches and their like are always associated with Satan and demonic powers, and God forbids them. But just because God forbids them, does that stop people from doing it? Not at all. Because just to, because God makes laws about it doesn't mean people obey them. Uh, not, not everybody does what God tells them. Just look at the Ten Commandments. People will break those all the time. Uh, when you disobey God's commands, you corrupt yourself, which is exactly what Saul's been doing all along. And our society is so filled with corruption today because we have put us, we have basically voided out God's laws. We, we not only shun them, we disdain them as a society. We don't want to do what God says. And it's interesting that all that the government does is to try to rid itself of corruption and the corruption in our society. But never do they say, maybe we should get back to doing what God says. Maybe we should start to put the Ten Commandments back in schools and, and reinstate prayer in the Bible. No, no. People want to do all that outside of God, and this is never going to be accomplished. Look at verse 3. This is a hypocrisy here. Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. So uh, this is a contradiction to his earlier action 
now when he's asking for them to find a witch for him. The law enforcer has become the lawbreaker. And sometimes hard times will inspire you to do things that you would not normally do. Be very careful during hard times. Be very careful during times of trouble because that's when it becomes easy to step over the line that you would not normally step over. There's a lot of hypocrisy seen today, uh, seen in our pulpits, that preachers don't live what they preach. It's seen in politicians that uh, accuse others of being dirty when they're just as dirty as anybody. Uh, it's seen in church members who accuse others while they're guilty of the same thing they're accusing people of. And so we want to stay away from hypocrisy. Look at verse number 7. And his servant said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. What is this? Do you remember what, just a couple of verses before, Saul had made a law in the land, we're getting rid of all of them. Yet his people are perfectly aware of a woman here in Endor that uh, evidently they knew about. They're as bad as he is. Saul did not obey his superior completely, which was God. Now his people aren't listening to him completely either. Uh, incomplete obedience always come back to bite you, always. We need to be completely obedient. And by the way, bad leadership produces bad men, which is what this is doing. Saul is uh, producing bad followers because he was. The incomplete obedience of others to Saul now leaves opportunity for Saul to go even further down, which is what incomplete obedience will always do. Uh, so if, if he would have been completely obedient, if they would have been completely obedient, there would be no witches for him to go to. But now he's got opportunity to go even further down and sin more. His own incompetence hurt him earlier, now it would again. Look at verse 8. Saul disguised himself, put on other raiment, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. He doesn't want others to know of his uh, wrongdoing here, his wickedness. He knew it was wrong. And so he did what we've talked much about this, that evil loves darkness, doesn't it? Uh, we do things in the dark. Uh, evil loves to reside in darkness. So he concealed his conduct in two different ways. He, he disguised himself and he did it in darkness. Uh, he didn't want her to know who he was because he had to put a death penalty on her. Okay, So he didn't want to go as himself, obviously. We see in her response. She would have been afraid to help him. So he disguised himself. She wouldn't recognize him. He was being deceitful. Being deceitful is sinful, and being deceitful is a sign that you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, or you wouldn't need to be deceitful. Deceit may fool, fool others, but it always defiles the one who's being deceitful, as it was to Saul here. To conceal his appearance even more, he went to her in darkness. And again, evil prefers dark. It works best in dark. I haven't went to many bars I haven't went to any bars, I don't think, but Jeremy tells me they're always dark, and uh, that's why drug dealers work at night, right? Uh, I'm just kidding, he doesn't go to bars. I've, just, I've heard they're dark, though. Uh, but the evil likes darkness, doesn't it? And uh, that's why, by the way, that's why I'm against uh, churches today who turn their auditorium lights off and just have the stage lights on. Why, why go dark? I, I don't know. Darkness isn't something that I'd like to promote. Jesus confirmed this, John 3.20. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know what light does? It exposes what's going on. You turn the light on, and, then, and it, it, then you can see what's happening. And evil likes to keep it in the dark. Sin not only avoids physical light, 
but it also avoids spiritual light. The first thing to go in a person who's getting wrapped up in sin is his church attendance. He doesn't want to go to church where the light is turned on on his sin. Uh, they'll stop reading their Bible. They'll start stop praying. And so you allow sin in your life. The first thing that goes is spiritual things because we certainly don't want that light in our life. That's why many have no interest in churches who are faithful in preaching the Word of God. Instead of motivational messages, they actually preach the Word. And what the Word does is it, the Bible calls the Word a mirror. And what, the, what good preaching does is hold this mirror of the Word up in front of you and it helps you to see who, who you really are. It helps me to see who I really am. That's, why, that's what it's talking about being a mirror. And uh, that's, we don't like that, do we? We don't like the imperfections. It's like, I always get a kick out of uh, my daughter who's now in college. We have hardly any pictures of it because anytime you throw out it and pull out a camera, ooh, you know, can't take a picture. Why? Well, she's afraid she might see herself. I always explain to her, we're seeing you all the time. It's not like it's new to any of us, but she might see herself. We don't like to see ourselves sometimes. We don't like to see the what we perceive as the imperfections. Well, the Bible shows us ourselves, and uh, that sometimes isn't a good picture, is it? Because it shows us what we really are. Evil does wants to avoid that. By the way, I hope that's always true here. That we, that we preach the word faithfully and uh, we turn the light on, on uh, sin. Mine, yours, whoever's here, we turn the light on. That's what we want to do. Look at uh, his petition to the witch, verse 11. And he said, bring me up Samuel. Again, way too late, Saul. Samuel was around for years and he could have went to him. Had no interest. Now that he's dead, he has interest. He wasn't interested in Samuel's counsel. Uh, he ignored what Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Saul had lots of opportunity. And he ignored God and he ignored Samuel. And guess what? Now, when he gets in trouble, he's calling out to them. And guess what? God's not listening now. He's turned off the faucet. When we're lazy in our spiritual pursuits we too late are going to realize our loss. And this is where Saul's at. And sometimes it takes us down in a very defiling position, which is what's happening to him. And defiling actions and deeds too. The uh, witch would not do her evil work until she was promised protection. She asked for a promise of it. And uh, it's interesting that she, like many people today, are only concerned about physical protection that's all she cared about. In fact, she says, Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life uh, to cause me to die? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, something that we all ought to be very aware of. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy the soul and body in hell. That's where her fear should have been, but it was just for her physical being. People buy... Life insurance, death insurance, uh, funeral insurance, buy all kinds of insurance for their physical being and do nothing for their spiritual being. It's a warped sense that we have today, not interested in any protection for their spiritual life. Uh, so he promises that there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. And of course, this is a useless promise because where does real punishment come from? It comes from God, not man. So this was an empty promise to her too. Uh, the witch got really upset when she saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. I kind of think this is funny. 
I don't know how you read this, but um, I, I don't think, I know there's some satanic things and demonic things involved with it, but I think a lot of mediums and palm readers and those type of things are just shysters. They're con artists, and they learn how to trick people. I've, I've seen some different documentaries on this, uh, and, and I've never went to one, but it's interesting to see how they are able to pull information out of people without them realizing and then feeding it back to them. And there's a real art to it, and they learn how to con people. And so maybe she was not used to something actually happening. And then Samuel shows himself, and she cries out with a loud voice. Uh, Isn't this what you do, witch? But evidently, it wasn't something normally to happen to her. She was terrified at seeing Samuel, even though she didn't know at first who it was. Uh, what she did know that this was a divine visitation and she wasn't used to it. Now, a lot of people have trouble with this passage. They have trouble with the fact that evil brought up Samuel to declare the message of God. But evil didn't bring up Samuel because the devil cannot disturb the redeemed souls of the saved. Once you die, you're out of the devil's control. He can't do, the devil could not have any access to Samuel. They, Obvious, obvious answer to the scene that we see here is God stepped in and God allowed this to happen. The fact that God did it is emphasized by the message that Samuel, we're not going to get to it tonight, but the message Samuel delivers to Saul. The devil not only cannot disturb the redeemed and saved souls of the dead, neither does he preach the type of messages that Samuel preached here. Uh, there's, Wes and I were talking about this earlier. There's some that even claim this was a demon. It wasn't Samuel. Well, Demons wouldn't say what Samuel said. Samuel gave a, a very good message. Samuel condemned sin. The devil does not condemn sin. Samuel declared the doom of sin, but Satan only talks about the delights of sin. That's not his way. So what we have here is a divine miracle. The witch really had nothing to do with it. This was God that allowed this to happen, and she was shocked by the revelation. But the point tonight as we close is the depths that sin will take us to. Do you remember... One early in Saul's life, uh, when, when uh, th that famous verse, I think is 1 Samuel 15, where it talks about rebellion, is, is the sin of witchcraft. Remember that? That's where Samuel started, or Saul started, well, before that, but that's where he was really starting to disobey God. And uh, God said, I'd rather have obedience than sacrifice. Remember that? Oh, I did it to sacrifice the Lord. A lot of times we, we play the lottery to tithe more. All right, what God wants is obedience. He don't want sacrifice, he wants obedience. And he, instead of being obedient, he decided he would do things his way. And then God went on to say that obedience is, uh, that uh, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So he started out with rebellion and he went, kept going down until he went to an actual witch. And, and it's, it's a, you look at the life of Saul and we're kind of wrapping up on him here because he's getting close to the end, but you see this, this regression. We started out with Saul being humble, respectful, nice. He is a man of character, somewhat, helping his father. Even after he's crowned king, or uh, uh, anointed king, he went back to work in the fields again. Something happened to Saul. Pride set in. And he started to do things his way. And, he, and it all starts with thinking we know better. That's what Saul started with, thinking he knows better than God. He knows better than God's man, Samuel. And he ends up here at a witch, which is pretty much the low point of his life getting there. So what I'm saying tonight is just don't start. <laughs> don't start the path of rebellion. 
uh, stay true to God. Uh, listen to God's man, the authority in your life, your spiritual mentors, and it'll help protect you from the depths of uh, what Saul got to. Thank you, Father, for the passage.